Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and... We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. Today's episode is with a woman who's an author, who's a mother or a grandmother and has a lot of story to tell. I'm so interested to find out about her newly released book called John and Mary Margaret. It is set in the South in in a period of time that I was just being born during this time. However, quite prevalent in the day and age that we live in today. So I want to find out more about where the stories and the ideas come from. So Susan Cushman, she is born in Mississippi, went then to Memphis with her husband, raised the family. And I see that there are a lot of granddaughters around. The family is another story that I know we're going to touch on. So Susan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be here. So I always begin because I'm naturally curious. Tell us about you anywhere you'd like to start. Well, I got to start in 1951 because that's when I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. (laughs) Yeah, I lived there until 1988 when I moved with my family here to Memphis. Both places have influenced me personally and my writing personally. While we were still in Mississippi, my husband and I adopted three children, two from South Korea and one from Mississippi. And so my children have greatly, greatly influenced me and my life and my writing. Our daughter from South Korea is married to an African-American man. Our son from South Korea is married to a Hmong woman. I have four mixed race granddaughters. And oh, all wonderful. of that feeds wow. into the book. Yeah, John, John and Mary Margaret is about a white girl and a black boy who fall in love on the Ole Miss campus in the 1960s when my husband and I were students there in a white privilege bubble. So I had to do a lot of imagining. In that book, uh, and I wrote it, I dedicated it to my granddaughters, and I was a stay-at-home mom for many years while my husband was busy with his career, 
So I waited until our youngest went to college to start doing the things that I wanted to do personally. And I painted and then I wrote, I published seven books in the last five years. Wow. 70. Okay. <laughs> so I usually say when I started this podcast, because I had just turned 60 and I say, if you're listening to this, I am proof that it's never too late to do anything or what you want to do. And therefore, you, my friend, have trumped it even more. And again, no one has the, I have the honor of looking at the video and I did the math, but then when you said it, I'm like, oh no, she's not. No, no, she's not. <laughs> 70. We should all be so lucky. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you. Definitely going to be the best decade. You know, my mother died from Alzheimer's about five years ago and I was in a nursing home the last eight years of her life. And so I have a dear place in my heart for caregivers of the elderly. Sure. So one of my favorite things I did this last year was leading a writing workshop at a senior living facility here in Memphis. There were 20 participants between the ages of 73 and 93 who were writing and we would do manuscript critiques and I would teach, give craft talks. And I've just fallen in love with these people. And that's probably the favorite thing I've done in the past year. Due to COVID, we had to go with Zoom after about six months. But we, you know, these, these people are wonderful. I mean, man, if they got some stories to I tell. was just going to say, I could only imagine the stories that maybe no one's asked them about. Right. You know, and and you gave them the the vessel to start it and think back and and especially if they're in an Alzheimer, I'll say state, my aunt, she rests in peace. We went through that with her. And as the stages go, that long-term memory, you know, she might not have remembered if she had breakfast that morning, but she knew her phone number when she was a little girl growing up and she knew all of the stories. And it was at a time where I was working out of the house. So I had time to take care of her. I would pick her up. We would just kind of run the day. And I also knew where the time was going back with her. And my mom had died when she was young, when she was, when my mother was 52 and I was 25. So you like, we only knew some stories, but we didn't know a lot. And now my aunt was at this place where she was dishing dirt, like when they were teenagers. And back then, you know, most of the girls got married right out of high school and who did they date and things like, and it was just, it was so great to hear that. Yeah, these people are amazing. And there's a 93-year-old woman in the group who had never used a computer. And when we started the writing workshop and she realized she was going to need to send in excerpts from her manuscript, she bought a computer, took a lesson on how to use Word, and turned in like 90 pages. And I said, wait, wait, Flo, we can only do 15 pages. She said, I don't care. Here comes. Here, here comes. It's no stopping me now. And her name is Flo. Gotta love both. Okay. No, no one's stopping Flo when she's on a roll. That is so great. So you started then, I'll say, your writing career, air quotes, officially, as we as a lot of women do, you know, after the family is okay, they're good. We've done our job. They're, they've graduated. They're on their way to adulting 101. Now it's my turn. 
did you always right. want to write? Did you write throughout, but just for yourself? What was your path? Junior high school, I wrote for our junior high literary journal. High school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, like a reporter. And so I was on our newspaper staff all three years of high school. And I, I was fascinated by research and interviewing and all of that. So I thought, I'm going to be in the nonfiction genre for sure. I got married very young. I was barely a stay-at-home mom. But I did a lot of freelance writing, magazines, newsletters, that sort of thing, staying in the nonfiction genre. And really, it wasn't until the last few years that I considered fiction. I think it's a lot harder to write because you have to make stuff up. But it's also fun because you can make stuff up. There you go. You have a lot of liberties there. Yeah. My first novel, Cherry Bomb, actually started as a memoir 10 years earlier. And after years of working with the memoir, I decided I did not want to go public with some of it. And I had... I had healed. It was so cathartic writing it because there was some abuse and, you know, situations like that in my life. And I decided, you know what? I'm through with the catharsis. I I want to make art because there's a real difference in just confessional, just throwing stuff out there. You know, go on Oprah if you want to do that, you know, but but for it to be art. I could I could use the stuff that had happened to me to inform it as fiction. And I'm still more proud of my first novel than anything, Cherry Bomb, because it's about a little girl who escapes a religious cult where she was abused. She throws up graffiti as a cry for help. She gets a scholarship to the Savannah College of Art and Design. She gets mentored by a famous artist. She ends up at a monastery learning to paint icons, which I did because I'm Eastern Orthodox. So there's a lot of my life experiences in there but it's a completely fictional book, you know, Cherry Bomb. So I thought, okay, I did my fiction. I'm going to go back safely to my little corner of nonfiction. You know, I can do memoir. Uh, I edited three anthologies with essays by other authors. I published essays in a half a dozen anthologies because it felt safer, you know. And then suddenly with Cherry Bomb, my novel, my publisher, who was a small press in Mississippi, asked me to visit 10 small towns in Mississippi and speak to the friends of the library groups there. And so I did. And as, I went to each, when I, as I went to each of those towns, I researched the towns before I got there. Aberdeen, Pontotoc, Eupora, all these places I had never been, even though I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and went to school in Oxford, Ole Miss. And I would research each one. And when I got home from each of those visits, my inclination would have been to write a blog post because I had a real active blog. But instead, I asked myself two questions that have pretty much changed my writing trajectory. The questions are, what if? What if that interesting person who came to that meeting was a homeless man who knew literature and quoted Wendell Berry? What if that historic house across the street from the library was inhabited by a woman who went to school with Eudora Welty and had an unfinished manuscript in her attic. You know, what if the young woman artist who came to one of the events was escaping domestic violence in her home? So each of the 10 stories dealt with adoption, abuse, cancer, domestic violence, homelessness, all these issues, most of which had affected my life, 
But I asked what if, and I wrote them as fiction. And that became a short story collection called Friends of the Library. Oh, that how I fell clever. in love with short stories and love. fiction by doing that. Right, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So that that is. And it was, I'll say, a safe way, again, because your life certainly doesn't sound like it wasn't without events, but instead of just in the memoir fashion, like, and then this happened, oh yeah, and then this, and then this, you really, you know, let it go with simple words, what if, and look what happened. Wow. Right. That Those is, are still my uh, two words. As what if? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, um, they're going to, they're going to become mine today after today, believe me. And sometimes it's just when you hear and they're simple and they might be just one word or two words and just how you receive it. It just like, for me, it kind of sat me back a little like, wow. Okay interesting way of looking at things very differently because then it detaches and opens up a world of possibility. Right. It does. So fun. And writing short stories was a new adventure for me. I didn't even read short stories much before that. Uh, So the whole new thing. And what's so fun about them is the narrative arc is so short that is is finished in 20 pages or 30 pages. A novel is so hard. It's so hard to sustain that arc, you know, for 50,000 and plus words. So I had a ball doing the short stories. And yet I had several readers who said to me about one of those short stories, the one about John and Mary Margaret. They said, this is begging for a larger narrative. Please turn this into a novel. I mean, I had readers saying this to me. So I approached my publisher, Color Books, and I said, what do y'all think? Should I turn this into a novel? And they said, go for it. And that is how John and Mary Margaret was born. The timing couldn't have been better because I started working on it all summer of 2020, late spring, summer. In addition to being sequestered away due to COVID, all of the racial protests were going on. If I had been younger and there had not been COVID, I would have been on the streets of Memphis joining the protests, not only in solidarity with my Black son-in-law and my mixed-race granddaughters, but just because it felt like the right thing to do. As From a, but from I was a human 70, and person was, standpoint, sure. Yeah, and there was no vaccine yet, and so I was frustrated, and my husband said, well, you have a voice, write it. So I took the short story about John and Mary Margaret and expanded into a novel, which was published in June. And it is my voice. It's my way of speaking out. And in the process of researching for that novel, I had a continuing awakening about race. I did a lot of research, a lot of reading. We all think we're not racist. Most white people, well, a lot of white people, we think we're not racist. And until you have an awakening and realize, wow, I didn't mean to be, you know, I I love my black son-in-law and my mixed race granddaughters. And yet, what about this attitude? What about this? What about this response? What about this response? And if you want a masterclass in this, read Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, which came out last summer. She's a Pulitzer, no, National Book Award winner, Isabel Wilkerson. But Cast, C-A-S-T-E, is about 
race in America and India and Nazi Germany and the connection between the three. And it was an incredible uh, awakening for me. And I, I, I listed, even though this is a novel, I have resources listed in the back because it covers 50 years of civil rights history, the novel does. Because John and Mary, Mary Margaret fall in love in 1966 and the novel goes all the way up to 2020. So a lot happens. A lot happens in that time. And and when you first start in 1966, if you can, and and it's set in the South, I was five at the time. So is that Martin Luther King time, you know, with, with civil rights and can a mixed couple be legally married in the South at that point? Yes, in some places, no in other places. Isn't that crazy to think about right now? You know, that, that it wouldn't have even been legal. You know, and then John and Mary Margaret received so much persecution on the Ole Miss campus when they tried to date that they broke up. You know, and as the story moves forward for 50 years, I bring in another element from my life because and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I think it's it's important for this podcast, is that the way the way they meet again, uh, 40 years later is each of their spouses are in a nursing home because one has Alzheimer's and one has Lewy body disorder. That's how they meet again. So that issue, because my mother died from Alzheimer's, that issue keeps repeating itself. From my initial memoir, Tanks and Plaques, A Mother and Daughter Face Alzheimer's, into one of the short stories in the library, into John and Mary Margaret. I'm published in an anthology that's about to come out from a group called Alls, A-L-Z, authors.com. There are over 300 authors who publish stories about caregiving. So I think I'm going to always be writing about it's, Alzheimer's, it's unfortunately. the fabric of your life. Family. Right. I mean, once you, once you experience it, it, you know, you just don't toss it in the mail in the trash like a piece of, you know, junk mail or a magazine. It's there. You've lived through it. You've walked through the fiery coals. You've watched, you know, this person that you love really kind of leave the world the way we came in, in so many stages and in some cases, slowly. Right. With my mom, it was. Very slow. She was 88. She was in a nursing home the last eight years of her life. It was very tough. She didn't know me the last five years. Yeah. So no, it, was, it, it was hard. It's, it's yeah. so hard. Yeah. Yep. But that is something, again, that you'll always, you know, you draw on. It's, it, it's almost, I want to say, an easy draw because... You, you lived it, you lived it for so long, you, you know, as the caregiver, then in the nursing home, and quite honestly, the characters that are in the nursing home. It's, you know, always for good. I like to just try to find some comic relief, even in sad times, it's just easier. And with my aunt, when she was, uh, she was in the nursing home, just right at the very end. And we were laughing more, you know, we were laughing. We, we had to, it's, you know, you had, you had a choice and, and we, and we chose be. that. Yeah. yeah. A memoir, Tangles and Plaques, a mother and daughter face Alzheimer's. The reason I published the memoir was over an eight year period, I wrote 60 blog posts about my caregiving experiences with my mom. 
And again, a reader of my blog said, turn that into a book. And some of them are quite humorous. You know, my favorite one is about the M&Ms, which was her favorite candy, but she forgot how to chew. And she put them in her mouth and she would say, they're not moving around in there. And I was like, of course not. You have to chew them, you know, and we had to laugh. And she chewed them and then she remembered how much she loved them. So there's a lot of humor in there as well as heartbreak. There has to be. There, there truly is. I would, I would always, you know, like it's fine. And yeah, yeah. Again, you have to, I chose laughter because you know what, in, in her glory days, my aunt had the greatest infectious laugh and was very funny. And so therefore I, I would always uh, resort to that. So it's interesting how in a few ways, again, with your short stories and then with the memoir and such that you, you start and would you have continued it onto, into the next step John and Mary Market from the from the uh, friends of the library from the short stories, if not nudged, pushed, suggested, and thankfully you have a great tribe of people around you that say, "Hey, we need more. They're thirsty. We need more." I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know if I would have thought to do it on my own or not. But as soon as it was suggested, my first thought was, "Ooh, maybe I could write a novella." I can't imagine it being a whole book. And my publisher said, no, we don't do novellas. It's got to be at least 50,000 words, which is still a very short. It's a really short book. So I don't know. It's interesting because on the reviews on Goodreads and Amazons and other places, there are several people who liked the book and said they wished it was longer. They wished there was more meat about John and Mary Margaret during those 50 years. And, you know, I can't fix that now, but it's a good thing to learn from as I move forward to more books. Is I tend to write tightly, which is good. Not a lot of extra words that aren't needed. I tend to get in a hurry to finish something. So I was going to say, considering, I mean, you had a good start with the story about them in the short in the short stories but then you said you started writing this in last summer in 2020 and I don't know how long I don't know what the lifespan of a work in progress of a novel is but that seems rather quick to have it done edited cover art published boom in June of 2021. And yeah. during this crazy time when everything is, you know, slower or delayed because of, because of, look right. what you did. Well, part of the reason for that was how timely the subject matter was. I wanted it to get out soon, you know, because of what was going on, the possibility that it could have a positive effect during this racial crisis that we're having. You know, I took six years on my first novel. And three months on this one, you know, again, this is, again, the skeleton was there from the short story. So I just fleshed it out. But had it not been that I wanted it out soon because of what was going on in our country, I should have taken six months to a year with it. You know, that would have been an average amount of time to take with it, you know. And as I've started a new novel, I'm sure I'll take longer because, you know, what I'm working on now does not have a element of, oh, I need to get this out because this is going on. The urgency and the timeliness, right. Let me just ask another quick question, only because 
I love books. Um, I'm on the other side. I'm your audience. I read them. What's the difference between, because you differentiated a novella and a novel? Is it the number of pages? Yeah, that's all it is. A novella is usually less than 40,000 words. A novel or 40, 45. A novel is usually 50,000 or more. A, A novella is really it's the difference in a long, short story and a very short novel. A recent one by Elise Smith, one of my favorite authors, is called um, The Marlin Inn or The Martin Inn. It's the name of a hotel in Florida. And it's a, it's a novella. It's short. But it's to me, it's more satisfying than a short story. It's a little bit meatier, but it's short. It may be 100 20 pages, you know, or something like that. Yeah, that's a novella. So an easy, an easy read under the shade tree and or by yeah. the pool and like not necessarily subject matter might not be easy it's just it's strictly about the that's that's the only difference is the length and they come in and out of vogue and they come in and out of vogue hmm. like they were really in for a while and then not and Lee Smith, again, the author that just wrote, came published this novella two years ago, I was emailing with her about what I was doing. And she said, I think novellas are coming back in somewhat because people's attention spans have changed due to the Internet and how quickly you can get stuff and podcasts. And uh, all of that, yeah. With this, now you write a book, and and it's a funny time that we live in as far as, because you went to the Friends of the Library to promote or talk about your previous work, and then what happens on this? Are you actually doing, actually, book signings? I'm a book signer nerd. I, you know, any good book and, and an author that I follow and someone that's nearby, I've waited online for hours to get the signed copy, nothing like it. Thank you. (laughs) I was really lucky with this book. I have a lot of author friends who published in 2020 and couldn't go anywhere. And so they had to do everything everything virtually. My book came out in June, June the 4th, and there was a window with COVID. I went on a two-week book tour. I drove 2,300 miles in person from Memphis, Atlanta, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, New Orleans, Mississippi, and back to Memphis. I had nine in-person events that were fabulous, and it was a blessing that it came out just in time for that. I will say the other side of that is most of those places were not large cities. Large cities are like Charleston and New Orleans and Jackson, Mississippi, and Memphis were not opened up as much yet, but I really didn't mind that so much like Novel is the bookstore here in Memphis that launched my book. And it was a Zoom launch. And at first I was disappointed. And then I realized, hey, I could be in conversation with an author who lives in Washington, D.C. named Jeffrey Blunt, who is the first black director of NBC News, who's a fabulous guy. He did my interview with me for uh, the Zoom event for Novel. And he wouldn't have been there in person. Same thing happened in Jackson, Mississippi at Lemuria, my hometown bookstore there. The Zoom event was with Ralph Eubanks, another black author from Mississippi, who is a visiting professor at Ole Miss, who was at Ole Miss during the time the book was written. The best person in the world to be in a conversation with for a book event. So my, my book tour that I just described started with a Zoom, Nine in person ended with a Zoom. I like both. Now I'm, you know, I will never, we'll never quit doing what we're doing now. 
now that we've discovered how great it is, how many people you can reach. You know, I love the in-person, but I also love this. Well, I I love this, again, because I wouldn't have, you know, I'm not good at discovering books, but I'm a really good person. And my friends will always say, hey, you should, and my sister is a wonderful reader, and she'll be like, you need to read this, send that one to me. The book group that I'm in, again, there were two really well-versed, more than two, I was the lazy one where I'm like, whenever it was my turn, I'm like, ugh, you know, and then I would ask everyone what, what's good to read type thing. But they would really just stretch you from what you think you are used to and what you, the genre that you like to, okay, so now we're reading, you know, it's history, it's this. It, so many interesting stories out there. And it's just a matter of, finding it. So I'm hoping that everyone who is listening will check out John and Mary Margaret. I know I will. So just released. So obviously it's in book form. Do any of your books ever go to Audible? None of them have. Uh, They're all on ebook. They're all on Amazon and an independent bookseller. I've published with six different publishers. I haven't stayed with the same, but none of them have gone to Audible. Well, they just that just hasn't happened for whatever reason. I mean, I could choose to do it myself. I just haven't. I'm a real, I mean, I even don't read on my Kindle much. I love to read on a real book. That's just the way I am. <laughs> but I know you there's know, nothing like walking it. into a, a bookstore and yeah. the smell of a bookstore. And, uh, you know, again, I don't read on my phone or on a Kindle, but uh, I'll do Audible only because I'm in the car a lot and I have time on my hands. But nothing beats sitting and opening and reading and touching and, you know, marking that page and coming back to see what what else is going to happen. That's always uh, the best part. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So... We're going to find your book on Amazon, John and Mary Margaret. And then also, if anybody wants to follow you, again, if things open up or where you might be, where can everybody find you? Virtually, my website is just www.susancushman.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter a lot. I love social media. Uh, Writing Life is Lonely. Social media is a way way to get out there. Uh, On August 21st, if you're in Mississippi, I'm speaking at the Mississippi Book Festival at the state capitol in Jackson. On September 1st, I'm speaking at the Southern Lit Alliance in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So there's still some in-person things going on. But um, I'm all over social media, so you can certainly find me there. I'm speaking to seven book clubs in the Memphis area in the next six weeks, four, five in person and two by Zoom. So I love book clubs. So that's a lot of fun too. I will speak to anybody's that's book That's a great clubs. idea. Okay. So you, I like that for our book club. Yeah, I'll Zoom in. I love to do that. Yeah. Uh, oh, that is. book club was recently, all the book clubs I've ever spoken to for any of my books have been women. So I got a phone call from a black author in Memphis, not author, reader. He works at a library in Memphis. They have a men's book club and they're all black men. And they had read John and Mary Margaret and wanted to give me feedback. And I was like, 
yes, of course, this is the, this is, these are people I've been hoping to hear from. And I had a Zoom meeting with them a couple of weeks ago, which was fabulous. And they said that I nailed that made me feel great because, you know, when you're writing about another race and another gender than you are, you know, obviously you get a lot, a lot of early readers to help you with feedback, but then to get these after readers who've read it, you know, I didn't want to offend. I hoped I got it right. And uh, they were real positive. So that was really, I was thankful for that. Yeah. That's very nice validation for sure. And honestly, I never thought to, have an author at book club. Like, I don't know why I never thought that because you have so much conversation back and forth. Obviously, like, I wonder why they didn't, why, you know, this character went this way when clearly it should have been this way. And yet, if we would go to the source, we could, you know, we could then get some clarity as to uh, that's that thought process. Or in your case, when you're like, I'm glad I didn't miss a didn't miss a mark and maybe some that is such a good idea everybody book groups out there reach out to the authors yes. you it never helps. know you never know and to get the us. feedback I mean, they help us the feedback helps as we move forward writing new books you learn from your readers readers are the best people to critique your books oh i love that so one other question before I let you go, and I thank you so much for your time. I loved the name of the first book, as you said, Cherry Bomb. Right. Your first your first one. Where did that come from? That is Mare, the, the lead character in the book. When she was writing graffiti, that was her tag. She was that was Cherry her Bomb. tag. There's okay. a I like it. it. You'd have to read the book and read about what happened to her as a child, and you can use your imagination to to follow why she named her mom. So every graffiti thing she threw up in the corner, she put a little black cherry bomb, like a firecracker thing. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was her. Yep. How clever! I like it, and and yes, that word does have a lot of different vibration to it. I figured, I figured as much. So. Thank you again. I appreciate learning about you, about, I love the stories of how your stories came to be and and how they evolved into even birthing other stories. That is, that just makes my heart sing. I will be ordering John and Mary Margaret because uh, again, this is uh, a good story and very, very timely. And I'm very curious to read about that. Thank you for your time, Susan. And I hope that hopefully when the next book comes out, I hope that we talk again. And this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. Okay, great. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Comments, comments, comments. Uh, We've got an author here. We're going to get her book on Amazon. The name of the book, again, is called John and Mary Margaret. And... Go to the website, go to her website. You can leave comments uh, www.joyfoundhere.com. Again, we appreciate you listening, supporting anywhere you listen to your podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeart. Rate, subscribe, review, share. Oh my goodness. And then just Thank you again. Your support is really, really appreciated. And the little takeaway from today is ask yourself, what if? I love it. Be well, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.